Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. Thank you so much for joining us. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Neve Barker, the founder of the Travel Wrap Company. Hello, Neve. How are you? Hello, Dan. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Very welcome. Um, so, Neve, first of all, let's go straight into it. What is the Travel Wrap Company and how did it all happen? So, the Travel Wrap Company is a company that sells Scottish cashmere wraps online all over the world. We started up in my spare room about 11 years ago now with an idea and a concept called the travel wrap, basically. I might tell you a little bit about the background of where mm, I got that yeah, idea go from. So my kind of backstory is that I worked in corporate. So I used to be a pharmacist, used to work for a company called Pfizer. And before that, in fact, a clinical pharmacist. When I was with Pfizer and when I worked in corporate, I did a fair bit of traveling. And I always hated these awful blankets that you get given on board commercial flights. And I always loved cashmere. And um, when Pfizer decided to move offices and I had the opportunity to take a sort of voluntary redundancy package, I thought, I know if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do something in business, this is going to be it. I'm going to invent, a, you know, a, a special blanket basically for, for, for girls um, that you can travel with. So. It came from basically my kitchen on a Sunday afternoon when I thought, there's a good idea, the travel wrap. That's a nicer word, less utilitarian word for a travel blanket. And it's new to the world. And I love cashmere and I love design and I love color. We can really do something with this. Originally, I think my most difficult thing in business was that I knew nothing about business. And there was no strategy. There was no plan. There was no capital either, which was another problem. But we started this business online. and. You know, I think I just automatically thought, well, we have to sell to trade. So we started by going to trade shows. We're an ex expensive, expensive route, actually. But we started going to trade shows and selling our product to retailers within that space. So big department stores, firstly in the UK. And then I did a few trade missions. We took it overseas. And the thing about it was people loved this product. They absolutely loved the travel wrap. In fact, our first year of trading, we won luxury gift of the year. And I won something ridiculous like best new business in the world, you know, <laughs> to get in a plane <laughs> and give a speech in Manhattan quite Square. Well, it is, you know, my husband did remind me that, you know, you, you only win these things if you apply for them. So I was quite good at putting, because of my background, I think, in the pharmaceutical industry, I was quite good at putting presentations together and putting reports together. So I used to enter all these things. And we won this best news in New York. But I, I remember retailers coming to us and saying, well, what's your, you know, what's your price point? What's your retail price point? I didn't know what a retail price point was. I didn't know what a margin was. And, and so it went on and it went on for about six years. And in those six years, we didn't make a profit. It was an expensive hobby, my husband used to say. Um, and it was, we had this amazing product, but we didn't really have a strategy. And because we were selling through the wrong channel, it just wasn't working. You know, the, the price point was, was too high for our competitor market. So the other competitors in the space, too high for that. Um, we were getting challenged about the price point at, at trade shows because actually in order for a Fennec in London, for example, to make a profit, there just wasn't enough 
there wasn't enough money in the sandwich, you know. So how did you actually get it made? You got this idea. You said you love cashmere. But how did you then go and get Well, we started, I mean, I remember being, I was pregnant with Kira, my second little girl. We, I also had four children alongside that, four stepchildren I'd just taken on. And we had, um, and then I was pregnant with my second wow. of our two. So it was like the Waltons, you know, there were six of them. Um, so I was doing all of that in my spare time. But alongside that, I was, I was kind of starting to explore um, online, basically, where to get these products made. Um, I remember getting a couple of samples made in China and coming back to me and I thought, oh, my God, these are just awful. You know, I can't offer these. I have to do something I love. Um, started looking in the UK um, kept coming back to this company, Johnson's up in Scotland, up in the borders, who are kind of they're one of the um, one of the um, certainly one of the most renowned mills in the UK, probably in, well, internationally as well. Um, and I just liked what they stood for. So I went to their London office really cheekily and just had this meeting. I didn't even have a business card at that point and persuaded Johnson's to knit a few samples for me of these just big rectangular pieces of lovely cashmere, which I was going to box up and call our travel wraps. And they they agreed to it. And so they started knitting for us. And actually, Johnson's today are still knitting for us. And their cashmere is second to none. And they they work um, ethically and sustainably, which all suits our brand because that's all part of part of what we stand for. Um, and again, their craftsmanship is second to none. You know, I go up to the mill quite regularly, three or four times a year, and the you know the the skills and the craftsmanship still within those within that manufacturing space is is incredible. And as a result, we get you know our product is is fabulous you know it's best in the world which is something i always set out to do you know and that's part of our mission statement is that we we will continue despite the competition to make these travel wraps which are the best in the world because we care passionately about craftsmanship about cashmere and about customers you know and there are kind of three pillars and how yeah, i run the business i mean it's great to hear like you know the manufacturing still happening in britain you know there's a lot of talk about you know there's not stuff like that going on but it's great and the fact you've stayed with them for that length of time they're it still is, producing yeah but it was interesting but we had to shift our business model and strategy um because it just didn't work for us because they were knitting for us, I didn't own this mill up in Scotland. You know, they needed to make a profit as well as us. And therefore, the business to business selling into big retailers and knitting up in Scotland just didn't work. You know, the sums didn't add up. And that was when I went back and decided to to look at doing online. And I mean, we'd always done a little bit of online business, but it was kind of secondary to our business to business model. So that was probably, you know, five years ago now. In fact, at the same time, I did an interesting um, business program with Goldman Sachs called the 10KSB. And it was within it was within those six weeks, actually, it's quite a um, compressed little um, business course, but it was really useful, filled a lot of gaps for me with kind of marketing skills and things. Um, and I did that. We had a business mentor that was kind of assigned to us in the business who came down and made a, a diagnosis, they called it, for our business. Um, and this guy, Simon, just he just looked at me one day and he said, you know, this is just a commodity need. This is just an expensive commodity, because even though these travel wraps are absolutely gorgeous, you can't, you know, you can't, people can't see that online. So we we basically changed our whole strategy and approach to business overnight and started doing online and, and then export as a result of that, you know. So online, so what did you do? I guess you already had a website, but I guess you had to, did you reinvest in the website? How did you like build that online yeah, we, we had a website. So we, we had three problems, basically, Dan, with our model, our business to business model. Um, the price point was too expensive. 
all the competition that were that were snapping at our heels at this point um, were beginning to kind of catch up with it. It was a lovely concept always. The, the word travel wrap, fantastic, and everybody liked it. So people started copying it. Mm. And there's no IP attached to it. It's just two words stuck together. Yeah, of course. So we had to grow this brand. And there's lots of competition. Um, price point was too high. What we did was just a commodity, which was what my mentor, Simon, was referring to. Basically, just a big piece of cashmere. Anybody could copy it. There was no IP. And we were getting all these copycats. Um, so in order to solve that, and when we looked at doing online, we looked at our online platform, it wasn't working properly for, for online, even in the UK, never mind export. Um, but we got that reviewed and, um, and kind of opportunities looked at. And we then built platforms off our first, you know, our initial platform in the UK. Um, we, were, we were working with a um, platform called Magento, in fact, which we still are. And we built parallel platforms. We built one um, which was targeting U the US, one targeting the this Australia, one Europe, and then one to Canada, in fact. So we did that. We reduced our price point, and I brought a network designer on board to help me start develop collections that weren't just these plain pieces of cashmere. Um, so we did all of the above, and then it started to work. And obviously, we started marketing as well digitally to our target audiences. And exporting has become big. Now they're all they're sold all around the world, aren't they? So how how are you reaching those places? That's all online, and how do you talk differently to different markets in terms of how you push the product? So yes, we do. Um, but to go back to your query about uh, digital marketing, we don't just do digital marketing. I mean, digital marketing works, and you can be really specific about it, but it's also very expensive. So alongside that, we have a PR team um, based in London who kind of achieve our offline marketing. So we try and get into Telegraph, for example, in the UK. We get into some American press. We get online as well through that channel. Um, and the other really critical thing in all of this, and it's kind of, I think it was the missing bit of the jigsaw for me a couple of years ago, was, was the SEO, the search engine optimization, and getting that right. So once you get all those three bits right and moving in the right direction, then you, you, you've kind of covered all your marketing bases. But you do need to get each and every single one of those, you know, uh, correct. Um, so, yeah, so we, our digital marketing is our most expensive resource. I sometimes say to people, you know, we are a marketing company with a really nice product attached to it. That's basically what we do. And for many years, I spent a lot of time tearing up five pound notes to line the pockets of Mark Zuckerberg. I always say because that is very easy to do, and you can kind of play in that space and spend and spend an awful lot of money and resource just not knowing what you're doing and not becoming an expert. And I always say to people, you know, there's two things I'd spent money on to bring an expert on board early on in business. One would be the digital marketing expertise, and another would be a proper FD, a financial director, or somebody that that kind of could help you with, with the financial strategy and moving that on. But the digital marketing is something you can get really wrong and spend an awful lot of money on. You know, we there was one year, three years ago, we lost £20,000 on Facebook. You know, luckily at the time, um, our Google AdWords was working profitably. And so the two kind of evened each other out, you know. But I mean, these we measure and report on. You know, I can see in current time on a spreadsheet what's what's achieving what for us in the UK, in the US, in every target we every target audience that we're spending money on. It is really hard to get right. You, and there's a lot of cowboys out there, so you can spend an awful lot of money and not get it right. But it's it's a really interesting and always changing. You know, and the 
And the targeting is another interesting thing. So, for example, we target uh, in the US, we tend to target, uh, I don't know, New York, California, Los Angeles, Texas, another one. So we'll target those specific regions um, and a certain customer base within those specific regions. Why, why Texas? Because they've got a lot of money. Right. OK. And again, right. it's interesting. It's, it's very brash of me, a lot of money. They're, they're, yeah, it's a kind of reasonably wealthy audience. Right. And they also um, they also have a they also it seems the whole British brand thing resonates with with a lot of the American audiences. Um, but in particular, I think Texas, you know. And in fact, we advertise differently to the American audience than the, the UK audience. Yeah, the, I was, that was going to ask about that. Yeah. So what are the words you really play up the Britishness of it to the Texans? We tend to, yeah, we tend to be less obvious about it to the UK audience. I mean, I think it's still important to a UK audience, but I think um, American audiences tend to like the story. They like the brand provenance. They like the, the, the whole heritage brand. Um, works really well with an American audience and a lot of our competitors out there, you know, who are running with this name Travel Wrap and talking about it and they've got much big, bigger marketing budgets than than I and we do. They don't have that lovely Britishness about them and that's backstory and that, you know, the kind of depth of, of um, provenance. Um, so it just works very well. And of course, we can measure all of that. So, you know, digital marketing is expensive but it's measurable and you can measure every single every single conversion that we get we know where it's coming from and then change if it's not and working and we change it we yeah. keep iterating you know that's the that's the trick but you've got to you've got to measure it you know you don't measure it you can spend a fortune <laughs> exactly are you still very much the business Do, are you still like it's in your pr i guess you're you know you're we still, are actually you still use people, you as the founder i mean again people like knowing the story behind the brand and our audience is is quite female so we have about sort of 70 percent of our audience is female although interestingly that changes as the year go on so during gift biz buying season we get lots Christmas. Of, yeah, the men lots come of out. lovely men <laughs> buying from us um which is quite which is a story in itself um so our female audience tends like I mean i do you know and i always think well i am my audience you know i like to know who's behind that brand and so i am and always have been part of the story i just i love what i do and so i can't imagine not being part of the brand story you know and actually it works quite well for us because people do like to know that the, the, the person behind the brand i'm quite happy to tell the story exactly one specific pr yeah. was the royal the royal family story wasn't it print they was bought one was bought for prince george yeah that was quite funny actually because i think that was a daily mail piece a few years ago and i in my naivety said to this journalist oh um yeah no no no. she was asking me you know who bought from us and i said oh we get you know uh, joe malone and anya da, 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 and all these lovely celebrities and then i said yeah and we get you know the you know, Pippa and, and Carol and, and um, members of the royal family. I, we, I think Prince George has got one. I said, but don't mention that, you know, probably best just keep that quiet, you know. <laughs> and then the next thing, I was coming back from lunch one midweek and I opened up my phone and there was me and Prince George, basically, you know, on <laughs> page three of the Daily Mail. Um, so I was like, oh dear. But, you know, then I think, well, actually, you know, it's a nice product. We knit in the UK. They don't mind being associated no. with with something that's trying to do the right thing, you know, and a, and a you know female led business. So I I think it's okay, you know. Did you did you see any sales impact on that? No, there's something quite. We hard always to, do, yeah. Dan, but it's nothing is a magic wand, no. you know, absolutely nothing in business is a magic wand. It's just keep going, keep refining, keep heading in the right direction of travel. You know, we were we were in the front cover of the Telegraph Travel 
once the supplement, yeah. I was in Ireland at the time and that we were on the front cover and I thought, well, this is going to be it then. Mm. Um, but it's not, you know, yeah. you just have to keep doing those little things and mm. keep moving it on. Mm. Um, and we get lots of great press and every little bit of it, you know, helps. Mm. Um, so I'm always, always open to opportunities. Um, but there is no magic wand. No. There is no magic wand, sadly. No. I like that somebody quote. would have discovered it. I'm going to be using that quote. There is no magic wand. <laughs> Maybe by the end of this series, we will have found that magic wand. But... <laughs> Don't, don't we will. Um, you mentioned like the fact that you are a business run by female there. Um, what are your thoughts on female enterprise? And um, you know that's that's something we're focused on a lot, Enterprise Nation, because about sixty-ish percent of our audience members are women. We do a lot of women-specific events. But what are your thoughts on female entrepreneurship in Britain? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think since I've been around, I think there's just been this brilliant opportunity for female entrepreneurship especially in that online space because you can do you can juggle lots of different things at the same time you know I find when my kids were younger you know I used to manage uh, you know running an online business gives you a huge amount of autonomy as well you can do what you like in between you know because you know prospectively the orders are coming in overnight so you can do the school run and then you can come back to your desk in the morning you know so you can manage your time better so there is a real opportunity for females in that in in the online space to to not only start a business but grow a business and the other thing is you know you don't need a you don't need a, an office you don't need a shop you don't need you know our little business is still run out of a couple of garages effectively and a storeroom you know and yet we export all over the world and people people phone up the office sometimes and I answer the phone in the afternoon you know and they can't believe the CEO of this really impressive looking business online so you know it can be a bit smoke and mirrors about it so I think um so I think now more than any other time, um, females have this great opportunity to run a business and 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 manage family life as well alongside that. You've touched so on I'm a bit for it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, you've touched a bit there, but just generally, then, what are your tips for growing a a brand, particularly an in international with international sales? Um, with so in terms of the e-commerce side of it yeah so running, mean, yeah just the, yeah tips for growing a successful e-commerce business essentially so choose your market mm. is my first thing make sure you are targeting the right um the right market and for us to start with that was just the low-hanging fruit the english-speaking audience where again i talked about it earlier the kind of heritage brand thing resonates very well and um, it's also useful to know where your audience is coming from before you start to target those customers. So we knew we had a bit of an audience in the US with our retailers before we started looking at that as an online space. Consider the logistics. So make sure that you can do it, basically, you know, um, <laughs> right couriers in place at the right price. We have different couriers for different countries, which is interesting. So that's, a, that's always an interesting one. Taxes and duties is another one because that was a big challenging one in our early days, um, especially for our US audience, which we just didn't seem to be able to get right, you know, because the customers didn't want to pay for this expensive product. They didn't want to have a bill from FedEx, you know, FedEx a week after, two weeks after they bought it. So in the end, we we went for an all-inclusive pricing scheme, which worked really well. In fact, we do that all over our um, globally now. So we do it to the um, US and we do for Australia, Europe, you know, um, Canada, wherever, um, just because that works well for the um, for the customer. Um, so did it a pricing, um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, localizing your website. That's another really important thing to get right. So America, I keep going back to America just because it's our biggest audience. But for example, in America, 
we um, we uh, we obviously offer the the customer the price point in US dollars because no US customer wants to buy in UK GBP. But we also because uh, the US audience tends to prefer imperial measurements to metric. All of our travel wraps are you know dimensionally we talk about whatever inches by inches weight in ounces all of those little things that makes a customer feel at home you know and english american english we use on that website we also position our webs our um our travel routes differently so you know every which thing um innovation is an interesting thing so in america we find out quite early on that they like monogramming so we i oh my god it took us like six months to find somebody that could do it but actually monogramming embroidering onto cashmere is much more difficult than a woven product because it just sinks in so we had to find somebody who could do that you know stabilize the cashmere and then embroidered into it but interesting that was the way we got into the sort of monogramming thing and the monogramming really appealed to our u.s audience so it's just just trying to get into their shoes you know and find what things suit and work with that audience and there will be there are differences according to according to each country you know and, you know, countries use different credit cards, different payment methods, all of those things. And it's just, again, I go back to just one little iteration, you know, one little refinement makes all the difference, you know. And when we did just little things, little steps at a time, we find our conversion rate increased. And that was what we just kept doing, you know. And just finally, where do you hope the business to go? You've said 11 years. <laughs> I know. What's, 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 what's your, next? What's your, what's your vision? Well, I mean, there's still a lot of prospective audiences out there, mm. you know. Um, we have looked at the Middle East. There's an audience there for us. You know, the whole of Europe is waiting. Although, <laughs> you know, it's difficult to know what to say about that at the moment. <laughs> I won't. And, you know, those are, those are language-specific websites that we'd have to build. I think we'll probably, now that we've kind of proved our concept after, you know what 11 years i think our next step is to get some proper investment in the business and then really push the pedal on that marketing side of things and um, because uh, you know i i'm not getting bored but i could do we could do with a bit of speed of growth i mean we're growing really nicely but i think with proper investment and uh, uh, expertise we can really just begin to make things happen to those other audiences that we haven't yet dipped into. I know I said that was final, but now sort of another question. Okay. So have you never taken external investment then? No. Is that so? No, that's... no, no. We've done, you know, uh, crowdfunding, for example, right. yeah. and we've had a loan from the bank, but all fairly small amounts, you know, 20, 30,000 at a time. Um, I've always been a bit cautious. I think work, working in the NHS for many years has made me very cautious. Yeah. About, and my husband and I are both very cautious financially, you know, which doesn't sound like the right thing to say for an entrepreneur. Um, but I think at this stage, I think, you know, we're, we're profitable, we're growing, and I think we'd have to give away less to get, to get some growth capital now at this stage. Well, Neve, thank you so much. We've loved following your story and we look forward to following it even more. So, Neve Barker, thank you so much for joining us Thanks, on the Small Dad. Business Sessions. Pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information, visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company Podraffy for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>